You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video for the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome back, Father Sebastian, all of our participants here as we continue on in the Paschal season. Now, considering the, the text for the Sunday of the paralytic, which has all the themes of resurrection running through it, of healing, uh, of, the, of the giving of life. But also underneath, or say a little bit behind the scenes at back, is this theme of isolation, of sin, and the result of that. And I have a, 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 a really a insightful quotation to share from Father Alexander Schmemann on this gospel. Now let's take a look here at these biblical texts. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. And Acts chapter 9 verse 32 through 42, 9, 32 through 42. So let's start here with the gospel text of John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, the story of the healing of the paralytic. At that time, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the pool of the sheep, a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these were lying a great multitude of the sick, blind, lame, and those with shriveled limbs, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord used to come down at certain times into the pool, and the water was stirred. And the first to go down into the pool after the stirring of the water was cured of whatever infirmity he had. Now a certain man was there who had been 38 years under his infirmity. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been in this state a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. For while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was cured. And he took up his pallet and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who had been healed. It is the Sabbath. You are not allowed to take up the pallet. And he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, then who is the man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? But the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had slipped away since there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you are cured. Sin no more lest something worse happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Father, first of all, as we're opening the gospel here to chapter 5 of John, just lay out for us the the location of this particular healing in the context of the gospel. So, yeah, the, the location is in Jerusalem, and it's just north of the temple. Uh, it uh, It was a place that was back then held to be a place where uh, there was healing power in this water. They used the water there for 
the uh, usage in the temple. And the place, in fact, called Bethesda, although there's variants of, of the name in the, in the manuscripts, Bethesda from the, from the Hebrew Beit Chesed, so house of mercy. This is the Aramaic form, though. Hmm. So the people understood this as so a place that God was in some special way blessing those who were in need. Father, John in his gospel focuses particularly on the healings of Jesus that happen on the Sabbath day. In fact, in John, it, it, it becomes this real point of contention with the Jews, that Jesus keeps healing on the Sabbath day and healing on the Sabbath day and healing on the Sabbath day. And as it, it says regarding the, the healing of the blind man, I believe that it was one of the points, the tipping points in which they began to actually seek to kill him. Uh, why is it that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath day, that John is particularly focused on that in the Gospel of John? And why is it such a point of contention here? They, 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 you would think, here this guy, what, 38 years he's been, he can't walk. He's been, you know, he's probably known in the area for his illness. People have been rejoicing, but no, not at all. They're like, no, you can't, you can't carry your pallet, sorry. So there's, there's a lot going on here. Uh, the, at the first level is this image of, like you said, this guy, 38 years. That should remind us of the book of Deuteronomy of the people of Israel wandering the wilderness. The gospel of John shows us that Jesus is the new Moses or the prophet like Moses who was to come. That's a major theme throughout. And so this is why the gospel of John refers to Jesus's great works, not as miracles, but as signs. And the signs, that language should remind us again of the story of Israel and Moses, where Moses worked these great signs to bring about, intending to bring about the belief in the people. Uh, the, uh, uh, the signs that Moses works, if we look at the Exodus story very carefully, those plagues that keep coming, they're coming once a week probably on the Sabbath, though it's not crystal clear on what day there, but there, it's a weekly occurrence. Uh, again, in that Jewish context, probably expecting to be a Sabbath occurrence. So it's the Sabbath healings, the Sabbath signs that Jesus is working here are mosaic images. Jesus is that fulfillment. Hmm. I want to share with our participants just to give a little bit, a little bit more context or, or say, a little more of, of, of physical representation while we're talking about some pictures here. I think you can see that, right, Father Sebastian? Yes. Pictures from the Holy Land. It's a nice little site here of the Pool of Bethesda. And you can see it now built over very much with, you know, medieval construction, Renaissance construction, and so forth, and archways of various levels of churches that were built over the site. This location is quite well known to our Melkite community in Jerusalem because it was the location of our seminary. The seminary is literally like, you know, 15 feet away from this, from this spot. Of course, it was taken from us and we no longer have it, unfortunately. But you can see down in the lower areas of that, of that archaeological dig, there's still pools of, of water that gather there. Uh, most of the place is dry, but nevertheless, you can still you can still visit that today. So that's a nice uh, little help to, the, to our participants as you're considering this beautiful story. There's, there's a couple of uh, themes here that, that kind of weave together 
not only not only focused upon the healing, but this also the state of this man. A lot of the healings in the Gospel of John give kind of physical representation to sin. John is trying very much to show what happens, not to say that because you sin, suddenly you become a paralytic. No, but that there's a there's a, a problem, and that is that when we fall into sin, we become, in a sense, like a paralytic. We are unable to walk with God. Jesus' healings are not so much about making the person walk again. He does that. But more importantly, about that he's able to walk with Jesus. He's able to follow him and come to know him. And, and this is very much true of this, of this situation here. Interesting that, that it says toward the end of this gospel that there, is, there was a crowd in that place. There was a crowd in the place. And here, this guy has been ill for 38 years, surrounded by people. And when Jesus asked him the question, by the way, the fathers of the church focus on this thing. He said, well, Jesus, it says right here, Jesus knew the guy was, was ill. He saw him lying there. He knew that he had been at sea for a long time. And yet he says, do you want to get well? And the church fathers uh, here focus upon this question to say, it's not because Jesus didn't know that the guy wanted to get well. Obviously, the guy wants to get well. It's almost a ridiculous question. But know that, that the Lord is kind of calling out this desire and focusing this man's attention upon, upon the one who can heal him. And he does this with us oftentimes to allow us to become, in a sense, hungry for him, hungry for healing, to allow that desire to kind of well up in us. But very interesting. There's a, there's a crowd of people, and the sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the water. So while the man is surrounded by people, he's very much isolated. There's no one there for him. And, and uh, I mentioned Father Alexander Schmeim, and I have a beautiful quotation here from him in which he basically says, he says, look, sin isolates us. Selfishness isolates us. And, and when we have this attitude of kind of a me-firstness or a, a, a selfishness to life, and I want to get ahead, as all of these people crowded in this area were, uh, were living, then we become so isolated to one another, we in some sense cease to exist. That these, these, this whole crowd of people cease to exist for this guy. There was no one, there was no one there for him. So this is what, this is what Father Schmeyman says. Um, uh, he says, this is truly the cry of someone who has come to know the terrible power of human selfishness, of isolation, of narcissism, is that this, there's no one, there's no one uh, there for me. I was mentioning the church fathers, and here's that beautiful quotation from St. Athanasius. He says, let them know that the Lord came not to make a display, but to heal and teach those who were suffering. For the way of the one aiming to display would be just to appear and to dazzle those around him. But for the one seeking to heal and teach, the way is not simply to appear here and there, but to give himself to the help of those in need. And Jesus goes and makes himself present in this place that is, um, you can imagine uh, what it must have been like, this pool of healing that uh, on occasion would would be the would be possible for someone to be healed it must have been a place that was horrible the stench of open wounds of the cry of the sick uh in this place and jesus intentionally goes there and makes himself present 
and then meets this man face to face. It's during this time period, and we're going to look at this in the epistle here. During this time period, the church places before us the model of the early church, which is modeled in the life of Christ. And then it asks us as a church to reflect upon that, that say, that icon of the vibrant church, the healing church, the church which is given new life, the church which now makes people to walk again with God as this paralytic, as we are in, in, the, in the, um, the, the bath of holy baptism. Um, before we look at the epistle, this theme of baptism now is it just becomes present every single Sunday for us in every single gospel with a particular twist for the catechumen. Um, and that twist is that the waters themselves are not the source of healing, but it is Jesus who grants to the created order the possibility of the communication of his divine life as we're going to see here in a, in, in a minute, it's not Peter who heals. It is Jesus who heals through Peter. It is not the waters of baptism that have given new life to the catechumen. It is, uh, it is Christ who works through these things. Uh, and this is the model or the icon that we're given now in this, in these weeks following Pascha, um, in, in which we see the restoration of creation and the church focuses our attention on that. Let's take a look here at the epistle in, Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 42. Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 42. In those days it came to pass that Peter, while visiting all of them, came to the saints living at Lydda. And he found there a certain man named Aeneas, who had been lying in bed for eight years since he was a paralytic. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ is healing you. Get up and make your bed. And he got up immediately, and all of the inhabitants of Lydda and, uh, and the plain of Sharon saw him, and they were converted to the Lord. Now in Joppa there was a certain woman, woman disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, and she devoted herself to good works and almsgiving. But it happened at that time that she fell ill and died, and they washed her and laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was, uh, is close to Joppa, the disciples hearing Peter was there sent, men, sent two men to him with a request, come to us without delay. And Peter got up and went with them. And on his arrival, they led him to the upper room. And all the widows stood around him weeping, showing him the gowns and cloaks Dorcas used to make for them. But Peter, putting them all out, knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. Then Peter gave her his hand and raised her up and called the saints and the widows. He gave her back to them alive, and it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Father, please, uh, as we usually do, give us the context of this, this text here in Acts chapter 9. The book of Acts is the record of the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That's what... Jesus says to the disciples in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we're right now at this point in the previous chapter, uh, in chapter 8, Samaria had been converted. So there was Jerusalem, Judea, and then now Samaria, 
And then now we're just before we're getting to the ends of the earth. That is the story of Cornelius when all of a sudden the gospel is going to begin to spread to the Gentiles. And so here Peter, after having uh, with the other apostles spread the gospel in that region, goes to the coast. And so this is Joppa, or Joppa is the, this is modern day Jaffa. And it is a, a little coastal city, at that time a Jewish fishing village, just south of uh, Caesarea. And so he goes to this region, to this first to uh, Lydda, which is a little more inland, and then Joppa, and then and he heals these people here in, in these places. You know, we heard this is not the first time we're seeing the healing of, of Peter and the apostles uh, in, in their ministry now in the early church. We saw also that the, the sick were brought out in the streets in the shadow of the, of, of, uh, the apostles would fall on them and they would be healed. Um, I, uh, I, I mentioned just earlier about this image or this, how the church places before us the early church as kind of this icon to see how we're living up to this, this truth and to t remind us of one fundamentally important truth and that is what is the, re the result of baptism the catechumen now having gone through the waters of baptism all of us in a sense having been uh enjoyed this gift of new life in the resurrection are called to remember now the effects of this communion with god that the healing which we hear about in the gospel chapter five the healing of the paralytic is is not is not for Jesus alone in this healing ministry, but it is now extended to all of us who have been baptized into him, who have become a partaker in his ministry. And we see that now in, in these two healings in the epistle. But as I mentioned before, as Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is healing you. And it's a fundamentally important thing to remember here in our ministry in the church, that it is Christ who works in and through us. He says, I will remain with you always. And those aren't just, you know, Bible words and nice words of Jesus, but he does truly physically remain with us always in his church. And I say physically, it's important because the incarnation, like the resurrection, is not for Jesus alone. It is, it is the great mystery of God that he now extends this gift to all of those who have been baptized into him, that we might be truly his hands and his feet to continue on that work of God, which is the giving of, uh, of life, which is, which is uh, the incarnation of love. Uh, this is the ministry of the church, whether it be the bread on the altar, the, the holy chrism, the water in the baptismal font, uh, each one of us uh, extending our hands to those who are in need. This is the work of Jesus Christ by which the divinization of the world takes place again, because this is God's original plan in paradise. Paradise is now restored, and the church now goes about continuing this, this restoration, in a sense, tilling and keeping the garden of the Lord until it begins to grow and bear fruit again in the lives, not of just only of, of the plants out in the field, but of of the people who are in the vineyard of the Lord, the, the, these people that are being healed here in the gospel. It is important that we avail ourselves to this healing. We be, bring ourselves uh, to be healed and we respond to the Lord. Yes, it is. I, I've been waiting. And yes, I want to be healed of the sin, which has made me in a sense a paralytic who finds me now, uh, places me on my deathbed. And I want to be healed of this. 
and therefore to come not only to the fount of holy baptism, but also of holy confession, as we heard in the gospel text just recently, Jesus breathed on the apostles, and now the apostles are given this gift of God's life for the healing ministry to bring people back into communion with God. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is risen. Indeed he is risen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.